Hello, my name is Derek Staines, and welcome to this special programme looking back and reflecting on the year 2020. And it's certainly been different this year. This is the time of the year when we usually join in with celebrations around our area to mark the beginning of the Christmas period, with grand events, with thousands of people in St Peter Street as the Christmas lights are switched on across the city centre. But not this year. The lights and trees are there, but little else, as many businesses are closed and we can't all meet up. But we can look back and reflect on some of the positive things that have happened, and in particular that have brought us closer together during this difficult time. So some of our Radio Verulam presenters have been talking to a selection of people across our community about their experiences and observations of the past months. These include St Albans Council leader Chris White, the Very Reverend Dr Geoffrey John, the Dean from the Abbey, local charities, businesses and a student at a local school. Firstly, Rob Pearman spoke to St Albans City and District Council leader Chris White about how the council reacted to the events of 2020. Chris White is leader of St Albans District Council. Local authorities have an increasing role in the process of tracking and tracing, is that right? Not only tracking and tracing, but also the vaccine. So preparations are being made to set up suitable areas where vaccines can be administered. So those are two big roles. The third role is trying to persuade people that this is serious and that they need to socially distance, wear masks and all the other things. In the beginning it was seen as a centralised operation, but it evidently includes the county council, the district council. How does it work? It is partially centralised because people are found to have symptoms in various different settings. So some stuff comes through from the NHS, some will come through locally. So the county council will receive some central information about people who need to be traced. They then pick up the phone and try and get hold of them. Once they've had a go, hopefully the list that they've got left is rather shorter. And that list is then passed on to the district council who go out and knock on people's doors. Presumably you didn't have a team of people lined up to do this eight, nine months ago. I mean, who's doing this work? The only sorts of officers we have are environmental health officers. But they've had to be supplemented by people from other departments, sometimes who have no experience of this and are redeployed and retrained. So museum staff, for instance, housing officers, sometimes planning officers. You're having to retrain, learn another skill and get on to do that whilst worrying about your own normal job. And worrying about your own normal job. The staff are fully aware that all councils are under massive financial pressure and we're not getting the level of compensation that's needed from central government. So they worry about that too. And of course they worry about their own health because they're only human. How would you describe the the role of council staff at the moment? Above and beyond. Some are still, for various reasons, having to come into the council offices rather than being secluded in safety at home. Some are taking on, as I say, these extra duties... And it's a seven-day-a-week worry. I assume that all district councils are facing much the same thing. So do you find that in this new scenario, the relationships between local district councils and the district councils and the county council have changed in any way? Yes, I think they have. In Hertfordshire, there's been quite a lot of joint working, cooperation between county and district on a range of issues, including economic issues and so forth. But this has uh, intensified that. 
I meet with other council leaders once a week to go through the figures, look at new initiatives, to respond to government initiatives, to receive ideas about how locally we can have a go at pushing down COVID increases. We have our own WhatsApp group. I mean, this is remarkable in some ways. It's a cross-party set of people, three different types of party lead councils in Hertfordshire, but we're in constant communication. And do you think that's something that's going to go forward afterwards? Yes, it would be very odd for it to go away. I mean, it, it survived the county council's rather distracting attempt to say that uh, there should be unitary local government and that they should run everything. So we got over that hump, shall we say. And of course, it made the districts love each other more than we did before. It's never going to go away, this sort of thing. Once you realise that working together with people actually produces results, you get better advice, uh, you get personal support, really, then why would you ever get rid of that? Would you say that was the best thing that's come out for the district council from the COVID situation so far? I think there are two best things. That's one of them. But the other is actually the self-confidence of local government. I think it's now been established and central government's begun to understand this, that local problems, people who are sick, people who need tracing, are best dealt with by local organisations. And it's nice to have that recognition. Can you look into your crystal ball and, and say what next year is going to be like? I have in the past made predictions about COVID. Unfortunately, you haven't recorded them. Uh, it's very easy to be wrong. But I think what we're seeing is not only one vaccine coming through, but I think uh, there are probably at least three contenders. So there's going to be a wide range of vaccines available and that will start to bring us back to normal life. And so I'm optimistic that by the summer, we'll feel that this is genuinely behind us. And who's going to run the local vaccine process? Is that local government or is that the uh, health authorities? It's a combination of at county level, the county council and the health bodies, they are the ones who have been told to look for suitable vaccination sites, uh, which is not easy with the Pfizer vaccine because it requires super cold fridges. The others seemingly don't, but they are working with districts. Today, I know that district council officers were visiting a couple of suitable sites with the military to scope them out and get them ready for, we hope, a kick-off on the 1st of December. Well, that would be amazing if that happens. Well, thank you very much, Councillor Chris White, leader of St Albans District Council. Always happy to talk to you. Rob Pearman speaking to St Albans City and District Council leader Chris White. We know that Christmas will be different this year and Johnny Seabrook talked to the very Reverend Dr Geoffrey John, the Dean of St Albans Abbey, about what the Abbey is doing to help everyone celebrate this year. So I've got Father Geoffrey John, who's the Dean of St Albans Cathedral, with me on the phone. Lovely to speak with you, Father Geoffrey. Thank you ever so much for your time. My pleasure. Um, I'm just interested to know... Um, how has the the cathedral community risen to the challenge and really coped with the strange year that we've had so far? Yeah, it's certainly been a, a year of ups and downs. Um, it's It's been really especially strange for us because you might remember that last year we opened our new welcome building and new exhibition centre and it was all very exciting and everyone loved the new building and the new shop and cafe were really working well and 
Um, the, the, the illumination of the medieval wall paintings was really popular. Yeah. And, and the result was that I finished um, the project and, and opened uh, all this new stuff. Far more people started coming. Um, we'd been planning for a 50% increase in visitor numbers over five to 10 years. And, and what we got, in fact, was a 100% increase in wow. visitor numbers over the first six months. Um, and that continued right up to March this year, when, of course, with the lockdown, everything stopped. So it's been incredibly frustrating having yeah. this tremendous takeoff and then all of a sudden being grounded by the virus. Okay. And of course, during the first lockdown, we, we had to close completely. We weren't even allowed to do broadcast services from the building. Um, if you remember, we had to do, do all our Holy Week and Easter services from our houses and gardens, which was uh, terribly odd. It was okay. We, we, we had to learn to do it very fast. But we really missed being in the Abbey and, and seeing everybody in person. And of course, worst of all, you couldn't give people communion or or at first we, we weren't even allowed to visit them when they were dying, which which was dreadful, really. Of course. And it's interesting because we're obviously in lockdown uh, number two now. Have have things been different? Have, have we sort of learnt things of how to cope a little bit more, do you think, having gone through it the first time earlier this year? Yeah, it's less of a shock, and and the conditions are a bit better. I mean, we still can't hold services in church uh, with a congregation, uh, and we still can't give people communion. Um, but at least the clergy are allowed to go in and pray, and people are allowed to come and pray in the abbey and visit the building and light a candle or just enjoy the peace of being there. So, so the thing we can't do is, is have actual services at the moment. Uh, we are also this time allowed to broadcast from inside the Abbey, and we are allowed to use a choir as long as they're very uh, carefully distanced um, and as long as they're adults. We're still not allowed to have boy and girl choristers um, because our choir children all come from different schools, and, and the rule is that choristers can only sing if they're from the same school, so, so we can't do that. Right. Still, I, I think we're coping with all this, um, but it will be a real relief when the lockdown ends and then we can have proper congregations coming again. Though even then, of course, for quite a while, I think it'll be in much smaller numbers than we are used to here. Of course, and as I say, we're, we're recording this at the time of lockdown number two, and we are approaching Advent and Christmas, which are sort of no, notoriously um, hectic and busy times in the life of the cathedral. Um, how are things going to be different this year? Well, they will, yeah, they'll be very different, I think. I mean, we hope that at least by Christmas we will be allowed to have congregations again. Um, but as I say, I'm, I'm sure there will still be quite strict number restrictions. I mean, in a normal year, many of our Christmas services get between 1,000 and 2,000 at each service. But of course, we can't do anything like that now. It's much too dangerous. So this year, the maximum number will be 300 people in, in the nave. Uh, at least we have the largest nave in England, which helps, but still only 300 and maybe 200 um, in the rest of the cathedral, the crossing. Um, some services will repeat. So we're going to do four services of lessons and carols over the Saturday, Sunday and Monday before Christmas Day. Um, we're going to have three Eucharist services on Christmas Day, plus the usual crib service and Midnight Mass on Christmas Eve. But I'm afraid that still means there are going to be far fewer people able to get into the Abbey for those services than in a normal year. Um, and so in order to try to regulate the numbers to make it safe uh, and also to try and get a fair distribution, um, 
it does mean that all Christmas services are going to have to be ticketed. Right. Um, you'll have to get tickets online through the cathedral website. Uh, the first day uh, they'll be available is Friday, the 11th of December. So <laughs> I think you're the first to get that advanced warning. Right. Okay. Um, and we're really sorry we have to do this, but, but there is no other way to be fair and, and to keep people safe. Um, and do remember, the cathedral will be open the whole time. Um, so even if you can't actually get into a service, you can always come and pray and light a candle and at least experience something of the warmth and comfort, which, which I think the cathedral does offer everybody. Of course, of course. And of course, Christmas carols um, are such an important part. Will the congregation be able to sing or is, will that not be the case as we say? I fear they won't be able to sing. Oh. The choir can sing uh, in a distance, but the way things are looking, uh, the rule up, even before lockdown, the rule was that people are not allowed yeah. to sing, and I'm afraid that's going to continue. Oh, such such a shame, but wonderful to hear that sort of contingency plans are in place, and it's not going to it's not going to be the same but it's it's still going to be taking place and it'll probably be just as wonderful and i just wonder if it is possible for you to sort of share with us um a little bit of a message how important really is this christmas story of 2000 years ago for us today in 2020 and the year we've had and the times we're living in well i i think it's especially important i mean people have really been hit for six by this virus some people very, very badly. And we all know people who've been ill or who've very sadly died. There are lots of people afraid for themselves or, or, or afraid for those they love. And there are other people who are very badly hit economically because they've lost their businesses or they're suffering through mental illness or depression or difficulties at home. All kinds of um, new problems are, are hitting people. And although, thank God, there is now at least a vaccine on the horizon, uh, I think it'll be a while before we can all feel really safe. And, and, and inevitably, there's a sense of fear around. So, so I think we do specially need the message of Christmas because that is all about hope shining through the darkness and, and the gloom. It's all about the love of God in Jesus being born in the middle of our fears and our darknesses and promising that he can bring us through this into light and, and joy. And of course, it's also about us showing one another the same sort of love that God shows us. Even if for the moment there, there still has to be distancing between us, it doesn't make that love any the less and certainly no less important. Wonderful. Listen, thank you ever so much and um, appreciate your time today. And I know, I know it seems dreadfully early. I'll be the first person to, to, to wish you happy Christmas as this goes out. And good luck with all the challenges and everything that's taking place at the cathedral um, in the weeks to come. Thank you. OK, thank you. Well, happy Advent to you and then a happy Christmas. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. Perfect. Radio Verulam and you are listening to 2020 Vision, Reflections from the City. The lockdowns have had a significant impact on businesses, and especially our many local and varied independent businesses. Rob Pearman spoke to Denise Parsons, manager of the St Albans Business Improvement District, or BID, to find out how local businesses have been managing. And we're joined now by Denise Parsons from the BID team in St Albans. 
Denise, what are your abiding memories of 2020 likely to be? Oh, I think there's so many. I think seeing people out and about and more active, I think is definitely one of them. Masks. uh, I never thought in my lifetime I would, one, have to wear a mask or two, see people wearing masks. And then, of course, all the fun things that you can actually do with them. So I'm very much one for not wearing a bulk standard mask. I like to match my mask to my outfit. So use it as a fashion statement. Well, if you've got to wear one, yeah, I think I think so. I think the other thing really is what will, will probably take away with me the most though is how the businesses have come together to support each other. I mean, we're very lucky in St Albans. We have a very active business community. We've found with the start of the of the lockdown how everyone mobilized. At the bid we've we've got a kind of WhatsApp chat group of about probably 140 businesses and it's really, really supportive. They're able to share their feelings, share their thoughts. But if somebody needs, you know, where can I get a gas engineer now? You know, all those kind of things. Everyone chips in and will help out. And I, it's been really heartwarming. And do you think, apart from that spirit of generosity, that there have been other fundamental changes which we've seen this year which won't go away? What I would hope from the general public and our local community that people see the value of their local businesses a lot more. There was already, you know, a big move to shop local in St Albans pre-COVID, and I think that's only got stronger. And we'll see over Christmas, I hope, a real support for our local businesses. I'm hoping that customers and and people generally see the value of their local businesses, see how much more they will do for you than uh, just getting whatever from a supermarket. Not saying that they don't provide good customer service because obviously they do, but when you buy from a small business, a real person does a little happy dance. And I think that is really important to remember that, you know, you're really contributing to the local economy by buying local. And have you had a chance to look forward to 2021 at all? I really hope we can get back to some sense of normality. I would hate to see businesses having to go back into lockdown again next year. It's going to take them a long time to recover. So I think there's going to be lots of things where, you know, in years to come, we look back, oh, you remember 2020, and you'll look back partly in sadness for just generally everything that's happened around COVID. But certainly, you know, I think the businesses will look back, you know, and and remember, you know, it must must be really, really stressful for them not knowing when they can open again, if and when they do, whether they're actually going to make enough money to make their business viable in 2021. So what I hope is that everyone survives and that everyone comes out of it stronger and maybe with a business model that's um, far more flexible than they thought they ever needed. Denise Parsons, thank you for joining us. Thank you. 2020 Vision, Reflections from the City. And Rob Pearman continues his interview with Denise Parsons, the manager of the St Albans Business Improvement District. And turning back to you again, Denise, what are your memories of 2020 with regard to the music scene? Uh, well, very much. Uh, it, it felt like my my uh, legs had been cut off, I guess, really. To not be able to do my show, uh, to not be able to put on live music events and not being able to go out and see live music, something that I never, ever thought would happen. Obviously, as we came out of lockdown, there was, there, you know, there's been places that have tried to put on a kind of socially distanced gigs and things like that. But I think if you speak to most musicians, while well, they're grateful to be able to go out and play, 
you know, the whole thing about going to a, a gig is that social interaction, is that being able to, you know, mingle with other people, get up and down and get involved. And I'm old school gigs, so, you know, they need to be loud and crowded and uh, <laughs> sweaty and horrible, really. But um... <laughs> You make it sound so lovely. How yes. can we miss it? <laughs> no, no. Uh, but there is something, you know, if you're a live music fan, I think you'll understand what I'm saying. There is something, it's something that you can almost feel physically. But it's an emotion, I guess, certainly for me and all the musicians that I talk to on a regular basis, they are absolutely beside themselves, you know, not being able to perform and not being able to support their fellow musicians. Do you think when we get it back, Denise, we'll appreciate the music more? Well, I hope so. I've been saying this to people for some time because obviously um, as a live music promoter, finding good bands and good acts and venues and all that is actually relatively straightforward. But it's always been a struggle, especially the last few years of getting an audience in. You do have to put an awful lot of work into actually promoting, getting people along to a live music event. So what I hope is that next year that people will really appreciate it and support it because that's what I'd hate to see is that they've got out of the habit of going out to live music events Mm. I can't really you know when I start to think about it I can't imagine what a world will be like with no live music that's exactly it there are many things which we're going to have to learn to live without or live with differently but you just can't imagine a world without live music can you no no and 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 obviously the knock-on effect will be that also there will be lots of pubs and venues that haven't survived a lot of pub put on bands it's not really a money maker for them it's kind of entertaining their existing crowd and perhaps bringing new people to the pub we're lucky in St Albans that all the pubs you know really are behind the live music scene and uh, do actively support it but it may be the last thing on their list if they're just struggling to survive will they carry on you know having as much live music for example Communities First is the local organisation that helps volunteers find places where they can make a difference. From the start of the pandemic in March, they were inundated with requests for help. Steve Simpson spoke to Tom Watkins, the Volunteering Development Manager at Communities First, about what they did. And I'm joined now by Tom Watkins from Communities First. Tom, 2020, what will your memories be of this tumultuous time? It has been an extraordinary year. My memories of this year will be very much of the positives. We have seen some of the worst global events this year, but what I've seen on a local level has been the very best of human nature. I have seen generosity of spirit. I've seen gratitude, selflessness, just willingness to help stay connected and stay in touch with with each other through lockdowns and social disconnection but thankfully through volunteering people have really shown what human nature is really capable of and uh, it's been a real privilege to be a part of that so what what impact have the events of the year had on what you do with communities first specifically it's had an enormous impact we pretty much had to do a a 180 turn on what we would normally be doing i mean my job as always has been the recruitment of volunteers but this year has seen us recruit 17 times the amount of uh, volunteers that we would normally expect Uh, We've had to create new systems to recruit volunteers remotely, but also manage them and deploy them remotely. We've 
been helping with the shopping, we've been helping with prescriptions, we've been taking people's dogs for a walk, we've been doing telephone befriending, which our organisation hasn't done before, and many, many other things besides. And our team has swelled massively with the addition of all these wonderful volunteers. They've been representing us astoundingly, amazingly well in the community and, and offering their time, their skills, their compassion and their support. And Tom, have you had a chance to look ahead to 2021 yet? What are you hoping will be different in the new year? I'm hoping that in the new year, um, there is a little bit more freedom for people to, to connect on a human level again. I'm very much hoping that the isolation of this year will start to lift. But if it doesn't, I'm very much hoping that the generosity and the goodwill and the compassion that people have shown in, in offering their time this year will continue, uh, that they will remain motivated to do so and that they will help people to maintain those human connections which are so very, very important for not only our mental health, but our physical health and for our sense of well-being in total. Tom Watkins from Community First, thank you very much for joining us on this show on Radio Verulam. Thanks, Steve. Steve Simpson, talking to Tom Watkins, the Volunteering Development Manager at Communities First. The lockdowns, furloughs and redundancies have had a devastating effect on some families and the Citizens Advice Bureau, or CAB, is a valued source of information and help for such people. Rob Pearman has been talking to June Chapman, the CEO of Citizens Advice, about how they have been helping people whose circumstances have changed because of the crisis. June Chapman is CEO of Citizens Advice St Albans and District. She's very kindly come on to Local Life several times during the pandemic to talk about what they've been doing at Citizens Advice and how they've been coping. Now, June, you were all working in the office and you had that fully equipped. How do you transpose that into remote operating? With a great deal of hard work. In fact, I'm on record as having surveyed the team very extensively in early March and concluding that it was not going to be possible for us to work from home and that we would have to fold the tent for the duration. But within days of me having said that, the team had decided that they were not happy to do that. So they set about trying to make it possible for all our staff and volunteers to work from home. It was a crazy couple of weeks of very, very long hours in the office trying to put into place the sort of facilities and systems and processes and cloud-based telephony. The worst thing, in fact, was trying to source enough laptops Way back in mid-February, we had seen that this was looking as though there would be a time when we may have to not work from an office, and we had put in an order for 15 laptops. But by the end of February, they were like gold dust. None of the suppliers were dispatching laptops, and while you could order them online to your heart's content, they never arrived. They still haven't. So we then set about putting out pleas via this radio station and others for secondhand laptops for people to donate them. We managed to find a lease company that was taking back laptops from companies that were mothballing themselves because of the lockdown. 
we got hold of 20 of those and were able to build them in such a way that they're secure because obviously the records that we keep for clients it's of the utmost importance that they are absolutely secure so we had our IT person beavering away building these laptops and then we were able to take them and deliver them and they were being shared by volunteers sometimes two volunteers sometimes three volunteers who on their one hour a day walking exercise being released from the house they were taking their shared cast iron laptop in a plastic bag with wet wipes and Dettol to their partner volunteer so that their partner volunteer could use the laptop for the next day's work okay so you got the laptops and and has this process being beneficial do you think to volunteers as well because one of the things we're, we're all locked in in one way or another one of the things that we've been very mindful of is people's well-being because on the one hand when you are on the phone to a very distressed client and you may be listening to a very harrowing story and feel really quite troubled and distressed by it yourself as an advisor and of course in the office you're able to step outside and speak privately with one of the other members of the team and share that and get some support and 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 sort of debrief if you like to recover from the distress but at home you may very well be at your kitchen table with your headset on and it might be quite a different thing to let go of that story the story may come back and haunt you while you're peeling the spuds because it was a conversation you had even though it was on the phone it was a conversation you had within your own home so we have been very concerned about well-being of volunteers but actually all the evidence and the um, psychological research points to being able to help others as being the single best way to protect and preserve one's own well-being because connection with other people and helping other people and being able to make a difference are enormously good for us so actually as well as helping the clients the residents who have the advice needs our volunteers get a huge boost actually so yeah it's good for us too so obviously we like to tell people about our work so that they can get an idea of what ways we might be able to help them because it can be difficult to understand what we do if I just say, well, we advise anybody on anything. But of course, our difficulty in publicising exactly what we do is that confidentiality is extremely important to our clients. The last thing they want is for their matter to be identifiable by the general public. So whenever we speak about clients' cases, we have to do so in a way which disguises and makes it impossible to identify the individual that it relates to. Just to give you an idea of the sort of thing that we can do for people, we had a, an elderly man who had approached us because he was being chased by debt enforcement officers for a fine that he had already paid some long time ago. He was housebound, he had been recently bereaved, and he was going around in circles and was in a very agitated state, very anxious about this. And our advisor wrote to the enforcement agency on his behalf, and within a couple of days, it was all cleared up and we were able to tell him that he could ignore all of the correspondence. That felt like a really good result. He was very pleased. He said he'd had his first good night's sleep for some time. 
And another client we have been helping for a very long time for whom we've been trying to obtain some supported housing. At various times, the individual themselves has been homeless, but we have had this week the offer from the Housing Association of the right sort of supported accommodation for this individual. So we're very pleased that a couple of years work, it looks like it's going to pay off. June, thank you very much. If I say, I hope you and your team have a good Christmas. Um, I mean, I'm using the word good because we don't know where we're going to be at Christmas. Let's hope we're all where we want to be. Thanks, Rob. Rob Pearman with June Chapman, the CEO from the Citizens Advice Bureau. One significant achievement back in March and April was a government initiative to find accommodation for everyone who was sleeping on our streets. Rob Pearman spoke to local homeless charities Open Door and Centre 33 about what they were able to do to help any rough sleepers in the city. Back in April, representatives of Open Door, Centre 33, Hightown Housing Association and the District Council explained on Local Life how they'd been able to take rough sleepers into the safety of real accommodation during the first lockdown. In September, I asked two of them, Lucy Geigerzers from Open Door and Councillor Jackie Taylor from the District Council, to update us on what had been achieved. Jackie, am I right to say that the government actually instructed each council to find a solution, to find some accommodation for uh, rough sleepers? Yes, absolutely. That's what the government was saying. Obviously, we'd responded already in, in March prior to even the lockdown. It was the Everyone In initiative and we did very well under that. Everyone in St Albans who would accept accommodation received accommodation and we did that without using hotels. And I think that's been really important this summer. Things have then been relatively stable. There will be other councils who had to use uh, hotels. I, I do understand that some places would have had no choice, but they've obviously had to go through a process of uh, moving people out of the hotels and trying to get them into some alternative accommodation. We've not had to do that here, so it has been more stable and people have stayed in the accommodation that they were provided back in March. Obviously, the, the situation with, with COVID obviously facing the country is very serious, so you sort of, in one respect, very much hesitate to talk about benefits, but actually... Rough sleepers is the one area that there is actually um, a, a positive story. Perhaps by way of example, last year, before COVID was even known about, along with Open Door, we established the winter night shelter, the winter beds to operate every night from the 1st of November through to the end of March. And rough sleepers did take advantage of that during, you know, during that colder and wetter weather. As COVID came along, obviously in March, and we were able to, trans, you know, people transferred into uh, into accommodation, and now here we are in the autumn. We're not far off. It been nearly a year that some of our unknown rough sleepers who had who had been rough sleeping for some time, nearly a year since they will actually have rough slept. So that can be quite an, an achievement, and is we see and we we hope is a positive step that they simply won't return to rough sleeping now. Another benefit of COVID, which is ridiculous saying that out loud, but um, that we've seen is a real impetus for joint working across both the council and the voluntary sector in St Albans. So right at the start, the Open Door Charity led joint meetings to get everybody together to make sure that we could coordinate the mainly the food distribution because the council had done a great job on providing accommodation. And that joint work's really continued. We don't see a way backwards now. We only see a way forwards in terms of working together to make sure that we get the best outcomes for the people that we want to support. And 
along that line, as I said before, Centre 33 unfortunately had to shut their doors at the beginning of the COVID pandemic. And Centre 33, alongside the Open Door Charity, are now looking for new premises where we can work together and provide a different type of service that will support the local community going forward. The local charities Open Door and Centre 33 having a chat with Rob Pearman. A major effect of the lockdown was that schools were closed so children were at home for over three months with schools and parents doing their best to help provide home education. Clive Glover spoke to Anna Lofts, who was a sixth former at Sandringham School, about how this worked for her. Hello, this is Clive Glover and I'm talking to Anna Lofts, who is a student in St Albans, lives in St Albans all her life, and she's now uh, in year 13, so it's the last year of school at Sandringham. We're in, just cut into another lockdown now, but the lockdown from March was, I think, 13 weeks in total, a long time, and obviously in, at that time the schools mm. were shut, but they were supporting you and, and you had online lessons and so on. How did that go? I think it went really well. I think Sandrium did a great job. Like I do with my three subjects when I was learning. Well, I did one at Beaumont, so sorry. With my two subjects from Sandrium, I had um, all of my lessons were online. I didn't, I wasn't, it wasn't like I was just sent a PowerPoint and asked to make no, notes off of it. I had my lesson online. My teacher was there. My whole class was there. We used Google Meets as the platform to do it on. And um, we... Yeah, we, my teacher just delivered the lesson as if they would, but as if they would normally if we were at school. Well, they tried to do that and they used like an online Google Docs form and then they type up or they'd use the PowerPoint and they'd speak to us. They wouldn't usually have their camera on, but they didn't need to. Um, and it just meant that it kept the momentum up of the lessons. It meant that you weren't having to, you were you felt united as a class. You were there with your classmates. You had that company around you during the lessons and you could all, you could, like contribute as well verbally which meant you were more engaged with the lesson I found um and it just kept up the communication I think if we didn't have that it would have felt quite odd going back into school not having spoken to our teachers or maybe some of our classmates for a good like 13 weeks that that would have been quite hard and if we hadn't have had online lessons it would have been hardest getting to the flow of things when we went back right that sounds very good actually and I've heard obviously other stories of other places where people didn't really get very much support from their school for whatever reason and so um they weren't very happy about it but that that sounds like you it sounds like it was Mm. as good as being there and maybe maybe it was better actually perhaps it was better organized it was more efficient maybe of people like logging on on time and everyone was there at the right time but nothing really beats being in a classroom being able to see the teacher then being able to give you hands out and resources you don't have the technical issues like some people maybe not being able to log on but the thing is as well we are in an area where a lot of people have devices which meant that Sandrine was able to do online teaching for the 13 weeks whereas if you think about other areas that wasn't even possible because kids don't have enough devices at home to do that or maybe the schools aren't as established to to um deliver the online lessons so I think I know that I am lucky and I'm actually grateful for those lessons being there because it gave me structure in my day as well if I didn't have lessons I would have had to build in I would have had to follow a school structure I would have tried to have done that but it's quite hard when you're not forced to go into this lesson like you you don't have that kind of pulling you to do the work (laughs) at some points I did get a bit I did get lazy and I actually did some lessons from my bed but um, that wasn't a good idea. It's best to get up out of your bed, 
sit at a desk actually like be engaged more otherwise you kind of mix your rest time with your school time and that's not a really good idea right okay well there are quite a few people working from their bedrooms of course these days but anyway um so apart from that obviously you lockdown meant that you were locked at home most of the time um how did you get on with that i mean did you feel that Mm. was um really a big sort of constraint on you Did, did did that sort of worry you it didn't worry me very much, I think, because I knew that we could go out for an hour's exercise. And I think exercise is really important for me and for my mental health and physical health. And I I definitely utilised the exercise hour to go running and to get out and to like run around and just see see people outside and to feel a bit more connected to, I suppose, everyone else. And also to nature, I found being outside was really healthy. I could like focus on the nature, um, get fresh air, which is always good for the mind. Um, but I think I think maybe with family, with my family, there were a bit few more tensions just because we were all in the same household. Um, for we were seeing each other a lot more. Um, but yeah, I didn't. I I kind of just went along with it. I kind of went with the flow um that's that was my approach because i know a lot of people obviously had to get outside because they had dogs so dogs were quite saviors for many people because they basically had had to take them out every day and that that got them out of the house and as you remember of course the summer was actually really nice weather wasn't it for a long time it was really hot and sunny for exactly exactly that really helped and i think with my family that encouraged us to do gardening and like we actually ate outside a lot which was really nice um and it just meant yeah, we could be outside. Anyway, thanks very much. Thank you. Bye. Anna Lofts having a chat with Radio Verulam's Clive Glover. Radio Verulam is supporting the Christmas Keep Connected anti-loneliness campaign. Please take a moment to think about this. Christmas can be a lonely time, and this year that will be especially true. Consider how you might want to think about approaching a person you feel might be lonely in order to gently offer support and friendship. A neighbour or a friend and remind them that feeling lonely is a normal part of being human. It's nothing to be ashamed of. There's no embarrassment in reaching out for help and signposting people to places they might be able to find help. And I would like to thank my colleagues from Radio Verulam for their help in making this programme 2020 Vision, Reflections from the City. I would like to thank Rob Pierman, Johnny Seabrook, Steve Simpson, Claire Graham, Lauren Kemp and Clive Glover. Plus thanks to everyone who contributed to tell their stories from the strange and very different this year. My name's Derek Staines. On behalf of all of us here at Radio Verulam, may I wish you a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year for 2021 whatever it may throw at us.